Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. I am really excited today for this series that we're kicking off. Um, It's probably going to feel a little different. I was thinking about where we've been uh, really over the course of the past few months, and I feel like both topically and and in some of the special things that we've done, we've kind of mixed up our rhythm from uh, normal a little bit. Uh, If you were with us last week, we definitely mixed things up because we just did a really quick service and then went out into the community and we served. And uh, I just want to say a huge thank you to so many of you, like literally so many of you in the room were like the ones who showed up and stepped out and and did an amazing job. We did stuff like painting uh, picnic tables, which was a uh, treat. It was good. There were a lot of kids with oil-based paint, so that was exciting. Um, Many uh, clothes were ruined, but some uh, picnic tables got painted as well, which is awesome. Uh, We had a group that um, participated in the Plarn workshop. If you remember, we've been uh, collecting plastic bags throughout this year uh, to turn into plastic yarn, to turn into mats uh, to give to some of the people in our community who are experiencing homelessness. And so uh, they were able to go, and uh, I heard that group had a blast. And like they all took home bags of plastic bags to continue serving throughout the week, which is, was, was an amazing thing. And just a plug for that group, like if you have plastic bags still laying around, it takes a ton to make one of those mats. So keep bringing them in or, or bring them to uh, the CRC building downtown, that's where they're kind of collecting. So anyway, that was a great thing. And there's a collection spot at Kroger. See, I'm learning things today too. So uh, we're going to keep that going. And then there was an amazing crew that went over and like, did some landscaping and clean up uh, out around where our new facility will be. But it was an amazing day. It was really fun. Um, I wrote in my notes here, serving day, celebrate and challenge. Okay, so there's Celebrate, it was amazing. So many of you guys were a part of it. Challenge is again, to be honest, fall break hadn't started yet, but some of you guys took a little early fall break, I think, because we were doing a serving day. And uh, I knew that numbers would be lower because that's what happens every time you do something a little different. But numbers were like a lot lower than I expected. And so I'm not gonna be mean. I'm not gonna finger wag because I don't think that's really helpful. But I am gonna say that this is gonna be a part of who we are as a church moving forward. We wanna be people who are in the community and who are serving. And if you wanna like move with the movement, Man, show up next time and be a part of it because it's really an incredible thing. But anyway, that felt different last weekend. And then I was thinking about just kind of the topics that we've covered over the past like few months or so in the late summer, moving into the fall. Uh, We did a series called Sacred Questions that was kind of like in the deep end of the pool as we were talking about community and really being known and maybe a little bit of a different take on what that looks like. And then shortly after that, we did a series called The Bible for Grownups, which was really in the deep end of the pool because there was a lot of history. Uh, We talked about the story of the Bible rather than just the stories in the Bible, and then there are a few other weeks we had in there, but then shortly after that, uh, we did this one-off message called Paradoxology, where I talked about how paradox and tension are like an essential part of our faith, and all of those topics, to me, I was describing to a friend, they felt a little heady, right? They were like, they were up here a little bit, and I think that's important, like something that I believe about faith is that you should bring your brain to the equation, (laughs) like you should be a thinking, thoughtful person, but something else that I really believe about our church is we wanna be a place that is helpful for people. Like we wanna be a community. I believe that following Jesus actually makes your life better and it actually helps you be better at life if you actually live out the things that he teaches. And so uh, I felt this urge, like, man, we gotta get a little bit more practical, right? It's been fun up here in the clouds, but like, 
people have real lives and like real things that they're facing as well. And that's kind of where we're gonna go today. I think it's gonna be a more practical, bottom shelf, real life kind of conversation that we've called relational vampires. And it's spooky season officially, right? You saw the Sanderson sisters everywhere. Maybe you've watched Hocus Pocus too. Uh, but we're not talking about witches. We're talking about vampires. And do you know what a vampire does? A vampire sucks your blood, right? Like that's their thing. So we're talking about relational vampires throughout this series. And what a relational vampire does is these are people who just kind of suck the life out of you, right? And we all probably know somebody like that. Again, if you're with them today, don't elbow them. Just pray for them as I'm talking, I guess. But uh, we all know somebody like that. We all know people who, like, when they walk in the room or, or when their, like, name shows up on your phone, you get that gut feeling. You're like, oh, this again, right? And uh, there's really a simple but foundational idea behind this entire series over the next four weeks that we're going to talk about, and it's simply this. It's that loving people is important. Like, like the tagline of this series is loving the people who suck the life out of you. And uh, it may sound obvious, it may sound simple, but Jesus actually clarified this to his first century followers when uh, he was talking about what the most important commandment was, what the most important thing that his followers could be known by. He said that it's all about loving God and loving the people around us, that love, we should all love God and we should express our love for God in the practical, tangible ways that we interact with one another. But I think today in the conversation, it's really important for us to just be honest with ourselves that some people are harder to love than others, aren't they? Like we can confess that, this is a safe space to acknowledge. Some of us are harder to love than others and maybe if you've never felt that, it might be you. Okay? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Everybody's welcome today. Uh, but I do think, like, there's this danger when we enter into a conversation about faith or a church gathering. There's this danger where many of us are tempted to put on our good Christian face and practice what my friend Joel Larison, who's the pastor at Bridgeway Church in Kokomo, uh, he calls it being Christian nice. We're all tempted to be Christian nice sometimes. And if you've never met somebody who's Christian nice or never fallen into this yourself, it's where we act like we like everyone in an effort to love everyone, right? Like, like we act like, we're yeah, everything's great. Everybody's happy. Everything's good. It's like you kind of have the grin and bear it approach to faith where it's like all smiles all the time. Uh, it's when we fall into the space of being like overly agreeable with everyone in the name of keeping the peace, but we're actually just like stuffing all of our negative emotions and negative feelings down. Uh, oftentimes when we're like Christian nice, it's really just a way that we avoid responsibility to other people. Because as long as things seem like cordial on the surface and we never go below that, everything's good, right? It's fine, it's nice. But the challenge is sometimes I think being Christian nice gets in the way of actually being good and actually being healthy and actually having thriving, healthy relationships the way that Jesus wants us to have. And the reality is some people are harder to love than other people. And, and that's not good or bad. That doesn't make them good or bad people. In fact, like, we're not going to do it, but we could, like, go around the room and, like, rank one another, right? You probably do it on your own. You just don't tell anybody. Uh, but there's differences between us that make it difficult for us to love one another. Uh, sometimes it's just a personality difference. Like, if you uh, are familiar with the Enneagram, it's a personality typing system that's kind of helpful uh, for some of us along the way. If you know, like, Enneagram 9s, we love you, Enneagram 9s, but, like, Christian nice, I feel like that's, like, your thing. It's just, like, everything's peaceful, stay peaceful all the time, no challenge anywhere, everything's good. And, and so like for other people like in Enneagram 8, who's known as the challenger, it's like oil and water, right? Because they're like, nothing's good, everything's challenged, like we grow through challenge. And so like 
that's not like one's good and one's bad. People are just different, and we have different temperaments and different ways that we carry ourselves throughout the world. Uh, there's things like personal preference, the type of music that you like, the clothes that you like to wear, right? Just like different things that we choose that aren't good or bad, but they can cause us to have some tension between us from time to time. Uh, there's difficult circumstances that we may face. And, and man, if you're here and you're in a difficult circumstance, you're in the right place, like you're so welcome here. But isn't it also true that sometimes when we're in difficult circumstances, we become a little more difficult to love because we're like so in whatever we're in. I, and so it can be hard to, to carry others' burdens in that way. Uh, sometimes we make life choices that are hard, make it hard for others to love us. Or we all know somebody who's made a choice that maybe we've advised them against, we caution them against, and they just keep doing it, and they keep doing it, and it gets harder and harder to feel like you're really loving them when they're just ignoring you. It's harder for us to love some people than other people. And over the course of the next few weeks, what we're going to talk about are some specific people that we might encounter. And here's like a disclaimer I want you to get early on. We're going to circle back to this at the end. Uh, although we're talking about the other people who can suck the life out of us, the truth is each of these people, each of these tendencies, are tendencies that can show up in each of our lives too. Like I have been all of the four things we're gonna talk about over the next few weeks and I would be willing to bet some of you too. So this is like equal parts about learning how to be loving and gracious to other people who are difficult for us and learning to be honest and evaluate ourselves and where these tendencies can show up in our own life as well. But what we're gonna talk about over the next four, four weeks is how do we love people who are critical, right? Like people who are just, always finding the thing to nit nitpick or always finding the flaw or it never feels like you're good enough for. How do we love people in that situation? We're going to talk about how do we love people who seem needy, who no matter what you do, it never seems like enough and they always need more of your time or more of your attention. Like how do we love needy people? Uh, we're going to talk about how do we love hypocritical people, people who say one thing but do another, people who present one persona but then in actuality there's something very different, that's difficult, but we're gonna talk about that. And today, uh, we're gonna start the conversation by talking about how do we love people who are controlling or, or manipulative? How do we love people who are controlling? And uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you guys know somebody who's a control freak? Like, show of hands, yeah? Some of you, if you don't know, it might be, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, if you tried to raise your hand, but the person next to you pulled your hand down, you know one, right? They're right there <laughs> next to you. And I'm teasing. Um, and to be honest, I'll out myself today, and I'll acknowledge that I can have this tendency in me too. Like, I've been uh, paying attention to it more and more, I feel like, in the past year, the ways that I can be a control freak. Uh, there's small things. Like, I almost always drive if we're going somewhere. It, it doesn't matter. Like, for my family, I'm always the one driving, but with my friends, it's not like there's a discussion. I just don't let go of the wheel, I feel like. like I'm always like, no, I'm going to get us there because I'm clearly the best driver among us. Or I don't know. It's not even like I think they're bad drivers. I just like being in that seat. Right? Like I like knowing where we're going and how fast we're going, how we're going to get there and all that kind of stuff. So I do that. Um, I've realized there's specific ways I like things done around my house. Uh, we're fixing up our house, and like there's a way that I like the walls to be painted. And uh, so as we were painting, like my wife started helping, and then I started extra helping to fix what she was doing along the ways. And I'm like, that's kind of too much, isn't it? Like a little bit of control freak nature in there. Um, I can be tempted to think other people's lives would be better if they would just do what I said, right? Have you ever been there with me or is it just me? Like I'm tempted sometimes like, well, yeah, if you would have listened, right? <laughs> Things would have been fine. But like all joking, all confessing aside, the truth is it can really hurt to be on the other side of a control freak too. Like people in authority, maybe somebody abused their authority and they powered up on you and they're really controlling and you have pain from that. that that's difficult for us to carry. Uh, I think more often than somebody like really being 
directly abusive by being controlling. Uh, there's just like these little unintentional ways that people can sometimes try and control us. Like they're not malicious, they're just maybe needy or, or insecure or, or they're hurting and they're trying to get us to do what they really think we should be doing. But what can happen on the other side of a controlling person is you get sucked into this like emotional black hole where like we pour into them, but no matter how much you do, it never seems like enough. No matter how much we give them, we always see more. Uh, they always want more. And if you've ever been around a control freak who doesn't get what they want, uh, you'll probably know that what tends to happen is they whine and they pout and maybe they'll stomp or they'll complain. Uh, maybe they'll give you the silent treatment, right? If you don't do, uh, I, see, I see the eye contact happening. Watch out. We're, we're going to keep it peaceful in here. Uh, but sometimes they'll walk away from you, but either way, you just feel like you're walking on eggshells. And so the question we're asking today is how do you love someone like that? How do you love someone who it feels like they just want to be in control and you can never measure up to them? And, and we're going to get there, but before we do that, I think it's helpful for us to like hone in on how controllers or how manipulators or control freaks tend to actually operate in our relationships and in our world because there's two primary weapons of a controller that show up in our relationships, and those weapons are threats and guilt. Those sound kind of intense, but here's what I mean. Like, uh, when it comes to threats, in some form or fashion, they may say it or they may just imply it, but the message we often receive on the other side of a controlling person is like, you better do it or else. Right? Hopefully not like physical threats, that's a different layer of intensity, but like, often what happens is like, uh, people think like, hey, if you don't do what I want, you're gonna pay for it somehow. Right? If you don't do what I want, maybe you've been in a relationship before where like boundaries were being pushed and you felt like if I don't do what he wants or what she wants, the relationship's going to fall apart. That was a threat in some ways. I'll lose the relationship. Uh, maybe your boss terrifies you. You feel like you're going to get fired if you don't do a good enough job so you're always on edge at work. Uh, maybe you have a spouse. You're in a significant relationship and there's this threat that they'll leave if you get it wrong. This is what it can feel like sometimes on the other side of a controlling person, and one of their greatest weapons is threats. But there's a more subtle weapon that shows up in the form of guilt. And again, it may be like expressly said, it may just be implied, but this is where there's not like a, if you don't, then this is going to happen. It's more like, after all I've done for you, right? You can't do this for me? Ugh. There's just this guilt that gets dropped in. Like, I thought we were friends. You won't even do this one thing for me? That's controlling, that's manipulative. You call yourself a Christian? I mean, what kind of a Christian won't do what I want you to do? It's this subtle way that we control one another, and maybe you've got a relative or a friend who's, who's done this to you, where they're like, hey, you never call me. Like, you're, you're too busy for me. Don't you love me? Like, why, why don't you call me? Why don't you make time for me? It's these ways that threats and guilt show up in our relationships, and we've probably all used tactics like that before, if we're honest, and we've probably all been on the receiving end of tactics like that. So the question we're asking today is how do we people who want to take following Jesus seriously, how do we actually love those who intentionally or unintentionally try to control or manipulate us? And the good news is we're not the only people uh, who have ever asked this question. We're not the only people who have ever experienced being on the other side of a controlling person. In fact, Jesus himself had a few run-ins with controlling people. And uh, the story that we're going to look at today, uh, it actually is recorded in Matthew's gospel, and it involves Jesus and one of his closest disciples, a guy named Peter. And in this conversation, what's happening is Jesus is really clearly explaining to his guys, his disciples, his followers, he's trying to explain what God's will for Jesus is. He has this clarity around what God wants him to do, and he's trying to clue in his closest followers about what it looks like for him to follow God faithfully. And then Peter, unintentionally in this conversation, doing what he thinks is right, probably, he literally tries to take control of Jesus. 
He, he tries to say, no, no, Jesus, you're getting it wrong, and to actually unintentionally distract him from what God wants to do in and through Jesus. And so, again, to give you the context, Jesus was explaining to his disciples uh, what was going to happen in his life, that he had to suffer, that he had to die, that he was going to give his life, and then later that God would raise him from the dead. And the text actually says Jesus spelled this out plainly. Like, it was very crystal clear to the guys what Jesus was saying. He's explaining the will of God for Jesus to these guys. And then Peter says, no, no, I'm going to take control and make sure that it doesn't happen. And here's how the text reads in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus spells all this out, and it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Bold move out of the gate, right? (laughs) He says, never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And then Jesus turns, and he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So there's a lot packed in this little conversation. This is where we're going to hang out with the rest of our time together. But you can see out of the gate, like Peter's controlling nature shows up. It says at the beginning, Peter took him aside. That's like a common tactic of a controller is to like isolate you, to get you away from other people. And so Peter like takes Jesus to the side to set him right, right? To, to course correct him a little bit, to tell him what he knows and to give him a little word about how things are supposed to go. And he says, no, Jesus, like, you're getting it wrong. Like, it can't be like this. And I think that there are three things we see in Jesus's response to Peter that can help us understand how we can respond when we're on the other side of a controlling or a manipulative person as well. And that's what I'm going to talk through next. Uh, The first thing that Jesus does in his response, it, it happens long before the conversation. The first thing that Jesus does that we can know as well is that Jesus knew what he was called to do. And so when we're relating to a controlling person, when we're trying to love a controlling person, it's really important to know what you're called to do, like, like what your calling looks like. It's the bedrock of how Jesus initially responds to Peter, uh, because over and over and over again, if you read through the Gospels, you'll see Jesus really clearly explain uh, why he's here on the earth, like why he came to earth and what he was doing with his life. Uh, Jesus said, hey, I came to seek and to save the lost. He had clarity around who he was here for. Elsewhere, he says, I came not for the righteous, but those who know that they're unrighteous. I didn't come for the healthy, but I came for the sick. Jesus was clear about that. He said, I didn't come so that people would serve me, but I came that I could give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus was incredibly clear about his purpose and his calling and why he was here on this earth. And that's what he was describing to Peter and to the other disciples in this conversation. He was saying, hey, here's what's coming up next as I continue to follow God's will. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. And then God's going to do something incredible, and I'm going to rise again. And for us today, for you to love somebody who's controlling, first you've got to be just as clear about your calling and your purpose and what God has brought you here to do. And I think for many of us, that seems intense, right? I mean, I'm talking about Jesus, Savior of the world, having clarity around why he was on this planet. And you're like, you want me to do that? Like, I'm just trying to get through Tuesday, right? Like, like and calling, it can feel like huge and grand and, and inaccessible. Like, if you're like me, when you hear somebody talk about calling, maybe you think like, okay, I'm going to go cure cancer, right? That's a calling. Or I'm going to become a missionary to Uganda and sell everything. And, and like, that's a big calling. And don't, might be what God's calling you to do, right? We need people who do those things, and, and it's significant, but I think calling, something that's important for us to know is that calling is often more about who God wants you to be, not just what God wants you to do. 
that calling isn't necessarily like God saying, hey, sell everything and move to Timbuktu and make an incredible impact there or whatever, but rather calling in our life can be small and it can be specific. Like your calling in your life might be the way that you're a spouse to your partner. Your calling in your life might be the kind of parent that you are, the kind of student that you are in school, the kind of athlete that you are in the field, the kind of performer that you are, the way that you do at work, the kind of employee or employer that you are, and all these different roles. We can view those roles as a calling on our life, and it's really important for us to have an understanding of that kind of calling, that everyday kind of calling, calling that's like based in our everyday lives and, and related to our character. It's so important for us to have clarity around that because calling itself clarifies things. When we have a sense of who God has called us to be and, and how we're called to operate, with respect to loving people who control us, calling clarifies because the challenge is most of us are people pleasers. Like, I'm guilty. Many of us are people pleasers. Any people pleasers in the room today? Yeah, some of you are only putting your hand up because you're a people pleaser, and I asked you to do it, right? Like, that's how deep it is for you. But uh, for all of us, the truth is there's no shortage of people who want to give an opinion on what our lives should look like, is there? I mean, you log on to Facebook, right? You'll get an opinion. Uh, there's no shortage of people who have a clear view of what we should be doing with our life and how we should manage our time and what our career should look like and what your family should be like. And don't get me started on parenting. Like, it, it's everywhere. But it can be tempting for all of us to put other people's opinion of us in front of God's calling on us. It can be tempting for all of us to be motivated and moved and controlled by other people's opinion of us rather than having that clarity around what God has really called you and called me to do. And there are people who want to control you and say, you should do this and you should go there and you should do that. And, and they have a very, very clear plan of what you should be doing with your time and with your resources. But knowing what you're called to do keeps you from being controlled by people like that. Knowing what you're called to do keeps you from being pulled in one direction or another. Because do you know what every controlling person has in common? Every controlling person has somebody who allows it. Right? Every controlling person has someone who allows them to have that influence in their life. And, and listen, the person who's controlling has a problem for sure. But if we're the ones who allow it, we have a problem too. When we wrongly let their opinion shape us more than God's calling on us. So the first thing we need to do if we want to navigate this well, if we want to love uh, people who are controlling, is we've got to be clear on our calling. We've got to be clear on what God has specifically given you in this season, in this time, what's yours to carry, and what that means for the choices that you make in your life, and put that calling before other people's opinion. The second thing we see Jesus do that can be helpful for us, uh, first, we need to know what we're called to do, and second, we need to know when someone's trying to control us. We need to like be aware of what's happening, because that helps us respond accordingly, and that's what happens in this story, right? Jesus basically says, this is what God's calling me to do. I'm going to lay down my life, uh, and then God's going to raise me up, and what does Peter do? Peter, like, out of the gate goes, no, 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 right? Like, that, that's not the plan. This isn't going to happen. Like, never, Lord. Uh, never, ever, ever. I'm not going to let it happen. Ask yourself, was Peter the worst guy who ever lived? No, right? Like, was Peter a, a bad guy in this moment? Did he hate Jesus? No, not at all. Like, was his intention to distract Jesus from the will of God and, and mess with the plan? Not at all. Peter was a good guy who loved Jesus, who loved God, who was trying to figure out what God wanted him to do. Peter wasn't an evil man, just like most of the people who may try and control or manipulate you aren't evil people at heart. But in that moment, what Peter was doing is he was putting his own plan, his own understanding in front of God's plan, in front of God's understanding, like Jesus himself spelling out the plan in front of him. And that's why it's so important for us to recognize that. 
Because if we don't recognize when somebody's doing that, right, not that they're evil and they're like powering up on us, but they're just leading us a little off course. They're, they're just like putting their plan in front of maybe what God's best for you is. If we don't recognize that, then it's so easy to just go with them, to, to be controlled, to be manipulated, to be redirected along the way. Why did Peter try and control Jesus? Because in that moment, he didn't recognize and he didn't understand God's plan. And that's why it's important for us to recognize when the people around us also don't recognize what God may be doing in your life, what God may want for you. It's important for us. I'm not saying like don't be friends with people who don't have that kind of wisdom. Absolutely be friends with them, but have your eyes open to the moments where they may be pulling you a little off course, where they may be controlling you and directing you to go a different direction than God wants you. Because like maybe for you, it's a really, really good person in your life who loves you, who shows up for you time and time again, but we have to recognize if unintentionally they're starting to threaten us or make us feel guilty or they're trying to move us into doing something or they're, they're like pulling us away from our friends, right? And they're saying, hey, we ought to go this way. Uh, they're trying to manipulate us maybe to rescue them again, right? To show up again for them. They're trying to get you to meet needs that maybe you were never designed to meet. So it's important for us to know what our calling is and then it's important for us to know when somebody's trying to control us, when somebody's trying to pull us away from that. But the main thing, I, I think like where it's gonna get a little harder than just knowing what God has for you and, and knowing when other people are kind of bumping into that. The third thing where it gets more difficult but is the loving thing to do is we have to know when to draw a line in the sand. When you're loving and dealing with a controlling person, you gotta know when to set a boundary. You've gotta know when to draw a line in the sand. And this is like the intense moment of the story, right? Remember how harshly Jesus responded to Peter in that moment? Uh, it says in the text in Matthew 16 that Jesus turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Never a good day when that happens, right? If Jesus is calling you Satan, pay attention, right? He says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. <laughs> Again, like sometimes it's good and it's helpful to memorize and maybe even quote scripture. I don't recognize like going to grandma and saying, get behind me, Satan, when she's not doing what you want. That's probably not the right way to apply this one. But like imagine this exchange with me for a moment. If Jesus wasn't healthy, like if Jesus wasn't the model of humanity that he is, what if Jesus was codependent like many of us can tend to be and he relied on Peter's approval? Imagine if his identity was like wrapped up in Peter's opinion of him. Then what would happen is Jesus, like I can be tempted to do sometimes, like stands up and he's like, hey, here's the plan. Here's where we're going. This is what God's gonna do and it's gonna be amazing. And Peter out of the gate's like, uh-uh, never, Lord. Like that's not it. That's not where we're going. If Jesus was codependent, if he was a people pleaser, he might've been like, okay, Sorry, like, like I didn't mean to upset you, Peter. Like I was just, that, that was my understanding, but I didn't, I didn't know, and, and maybe Peter would like do the whole codependent thing, but look, Jesus, if you wanna do that, I'm not gonna follow you anymore. Like if you, whatever, if you think that's the plan, I'm not gonna be your disciple any longer, and, and like I'm, I'm gonna be mad at you, I'm gonna unfollow you on Instagram, you're gonna get the silent treatment from me, and, and Jesus is like, okay, 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 right? I'm sorry, Peter, right? I thought, I thought this was all like for mankind, but I'm not gonna die. Like I, I was trying to do something for humanity, but I wanna keep you happy. <laughs> like, I'll do this for you, Peter. What do you, what do you want me to do? You want tea? You want no more miracles? Like, like what's the deal? Whatever you want. If Jesus was codependent and his identity was wrongly wrapped up in what Peter thought about him, man, it could have pulled him off course. And, and isn't that the same thing that can happen in you and I's life? When we get caught up in that trap of trying to please people who are intentionally or unintentionally manipulating 
and controlling us. It can take us off course, and the stakes can be so high, and that's why the loving thing for us to do is to do what Jesus did. And when we're feeling controlled, when we're feeling manipulated, it's not that we have to power up, and again, don't start calling people Satan because of this. That's not going to work well for you. But we have to get clarity uh, around what we're called to do. We have to recognize those moments when someone's pulling us from that calling, and then we have to have the courage to actually draw the line in the sand, to actually set the boundary and say, hey, I love you, but I'm not going to do that. Hey, I love you, but, but this is what God is actually doing. See, Jesus didn't give the control to Peter in that moment because he knew that he belonged to God. He knew that God was doing something in him and through him and was directing him, and, and so we need that same clarity in our life. And, and again, I told you this would be practical. So as we're wrapping up here, like, what do we do? If you're sitting here in the room today and if you're honest, you're like, yeah, I've got a couple of controllers in my life, right? There's some people and they've been influencing me. They've been nudging me in a certain direction and I don't know if it's the way that God really wants me to go. Like, what do you do if you recognize this is the kind of relational vampire you're facing? I think one of the things we need to do in our relationships is first we have to recognize that the relationships that you have are a combination of what you've created and what you've allowed. The relationships that you have, uh, they're the result of patterns, habits that you've either intentionally created or that you've passively allowed to creep in to your life in every relationship, in your marriage, with your siblings, with your boss and your coworkers, with your friends, with your kids. Like every relationship is a combination of the things that you've either rightly and purposefully created in that relationship or the things that you've passively allowed. All of us in our relationships create patterns. All of us create habits, and we either intentionally create healthy ones or we tend to drift into unhealthy ones along the way. And here's where it can get practical. Okay, if you've got a relationship that you're like, yeah, it's a little controlling. I don't have a line in the sand. Like, there's no boundary. Here's the reality. If you don't like what you have, then you can change what you expect and change what you accept in your life. That's how you can actually draw that line in the sand. It doesn't mean like a big confrontation and, and yelling and fireworks. And if you're doing that, you're probably doing it wrong uh, with some exceptions. But uh, this idea of drawing the line in the sand, it starts with us expecting something better for ourselves, for actually standing up for who God has called you to be and, and the way that you deserve to be treated. And what does this look like? Sometimes it looks like saying, hey, I don't want you to talk to me like that. Right? I love you, but that's, that's inappropriate. And I don't want you to keep doing that. Line drawn. Right, protection set. Hey, I, I care about you, but you can't talk to me like that. Right? I'm, a, I'm an adult, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a person in the world, like, yeah, you can't treat me in that way. Hey, I know this is difficult, and I love you, but I'm not gonna bail you out again. I mean, it's been three times, and, and you're depending on me, and, and that's not what I'm here for, right? That's not my calling. That's what it can look like to set that boundary, to draw the line in the sand. You can say, hey, you, you'll be upset. Okay, you can throw a fit, and you can yell, and, and whatever this looks like, uh, you can be dysfunctional. I'm going to keep telling you that I love you, and I'm not going to tolerate this. Those two things can exist at the same time, and the challenge is so many of us won't go there. right? We won't draw the line in their stand, and so instead we get pulled in all kinds of different directions as people intentionally or unintentionally guilt us or threaten us into their way instead of us defending the calling and the values that God has put in our life. And I'll like shoot straight about how this will probably go if you actually have the courage to do this in your life. If you actually start to set boundaries 
If you actually draw a line in the sand, most likely what's going to happen is the controller or the manipulator, the person who has had influence in your life without boundaries for however long, they're probably going to rear up a little bit. Right? They're probably going to get upset. They might double down on the dysfunction for a season and, and like, like I said, stomp and pout and give you the silent treatment and freak out and become critical or whatever. And the reason for that is because the whole problem is they're hurt in the first place. A and they're looking to s resolve that hurt not by being honest about it, but by like, getting you to do what they want. A as long as you're compliant, they're good, and then you like break that, and it's like, pfft, blow up, right? But that's not bad. Is it difficult? Absolutely it's difficult. It can be some of the hardest stuff you do to set a boundary and, and to communicate it clearly and lovingly, right? To lovingly communicate, like, no, this is the line in the sand, not because I dislike you or hate you, but because of what God's called me to do. It can be so challenging to do that, especially to do it in a calm, loving, controlled kind of a way. But you know what else is difficult? Living in a dysfunctional relationship year after year after year, whether it's at work or with a family member or, or with a significant other. So like, choose which heart you want. Will you have the courage to draw the line in the sand, to set the boundary, to stand up for the thing that God has called you to do? Or will you just be controlled? Will you just go along with it along the way? One last thought as we wrap up on this topic. Uh, I think it's really easy for us to do what we've been doing with most of our time today and point to or look at other people who try to control us, to look at other people who maybe are manipulative to us. But the truth is, many of us battle with the same thing. I told you earlier, I do. Like, I tend to be a, a control freak. I can tend to think that my way is the right way, typically. I was thinking about this, and uh, when I was in college, I was a part of a ministry called Campus Crusade. Uh, they go by crew now because the crusade's not the best thing to identify with. But anyway, uh, they had this famous slogan that we would use a lot of times when we were trying to influence people or give them a vision of uh, what God's love looked like for them. And their phrase that they would often say is that God loves you and God has a wonderful plan for your life. This is just free, but I have this print that's saved on my desktop that's really cynical that's like people getting eaten by, Christians getting eaten by lions. And it says God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life because that's not always what it looks like. But that's a sidebar. When I thought about my life, I realized like, while I've said that plenty of times, while I believe that that's true, that God does love you and God does have a wonderful plan for your life, if I'm not careful, my posture in life, even as a pastor, my posture can be God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> right? like God loves you and you should do what I say because I know what I'm saying or because I, whatever, I have that control freak nature in me. But the problem, if I live like that, and the problem for you, if you live like that with somebody else, is that you don't make a very good God and neither do I. Right? That's not our calling. That's not our job. We don't make very good gods over one another. Like, think about it this way. No matter how much you guilt or threaten or challenge, like, can you, do you have the power to really change your spouse? No. Right? You, you really don't. That's really not your job. That's not what your relationship was founded on in the first place. But does God have the ability to change your spouse? You bet he can. Right? You bet he can. Uh, do you, like, however helicoptery you want to get as a parent, <laughs> a, a mom or a dad, like, however you want to get in your kid's business or however you want to, like, do you really have the ability to control your child's future? It's a scary thing to be honest about, but no, you don't, and I don't, right? But does God have the ability to open doors and close doors and direct the way for your kids? You bet he does. You bet he does. Like, do you have the power to manipulate and to control and to threaten or, or whatever to change somebody's behavior? even for something good, like to get them out of an addiction or, or to get them out of a bad circumstance? No, you do not. 
And no, I do not. But does God, like through the power of Christ at work in people, does he have the ability to make somebody new and to make the old be gone and to give them a new story and to free them from that power? You bet he does. So what's so important for us is for us to recognize even in ourselves that we don't have the power to control others. We don't have the power. That's not our calling. It's not our job to manipulate others. And that's why right after this conversation, right, Jesus has this confrontation with Peter. He lovingly knows his calling, recognizes Peter's challenging it, draws the line in the sand, says, hey, get back. This is the plan, right? This is what we're doing. And then he turns to his followers, and I think he would turn to you and me today at the end of this conversation. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Because what Jesus is essentially saying is like the heart of following me, it's not about control. It's not about getting your way. It's not about even knowing all the right things. It starts with surrender. It starts with trusting me. It starts with denying yourself and picking up something that looks like sacrifice. That's what it looks like to follow me because here's kind of a bottom line. If you're here today and you're like, oh no, I don't love controlling people. I am a controlling people <laughs> or person. Like, if that's you today, here's the thing I think we all need reminded of. It's that when you choose to follow Jesus, you ultimately are not in control. You ultimately are saying, hey, I believe that there is a God who loves me, who does have a plan for me, but who's the one who directs my life, who, who takes me from place to place to place. And it's from that calling, it's from that relationship that I can live the healthiest and best life. Uh, so for all of us, if you're looking outward at your relationships and you're recognizing some vampires are around, right, some, some controlling people, get clear on your calling. It's so important that you know what God has given you to carry and what he has not given you to carry. So you can say yes to the things that God has given you and you can say no to everything else. And then recognize those moments where someone's trying to pull you in the wrong direction, where someone's guilting you or threatening you or influencing you. Know when it's happening so that you can set the boundary, so you can draw that line in the sand. So you can lovingly say, hey, I love you, but we're not going there, right? I, I love you, but I'm not gonna do that. I love you, but that doesn't line up with what God has called me to do. And remember that each of us can be just as guilty of falling into this. But if we really wanna follow Jesus, it starts by surrendering control. It starts by trusting. So let me pray for you to that end. God, this is so tricky for us and it's so easy to get wrapped up in a cycle of controlling and manipulating one another and uh, I think if we're honest, all of us have been on either side of the equation. All of us have been controlling and manipulative at times, and all of us know what it feels like to be controlled and to be manipulated. Uh, so God, I pray that you would give us crystal clarity on the things you have called us to do and who you've called us to be. God, may we know the relationships that matter most and how you call us to carry ourselves in them. May we have our eyes open to the opportunities that you've handed us, and God, may we have the courage to shut the door on everything that's not from you. May we have the courage to get clear on what you've called us to do. And then God, give us eyes to recognize those things that maybe look like good opportunities or maybe seem like they're coming from a loving person, but really are just distractions from what you've really called us to. God, give us the courage to draw the line of the sand, to know that boundaries are not unloving, but rather they can be the most loving thing that we do. When we say, hey, no, I'm not gonna go there or we're not gonna go this way. Help us to set healthy expectations in our relationship. And God, at the end of the day, as we step into a new week together, we want to freshly resurrender to you, acknowledging that you're the one who leads our life, that you have this world under control, and our job is to follow you in that wherever you may lead us.
So God, help us to do that this week in our own lives and in our relationships. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.